Johan, good morning. Uh, uh, I'm Steinmetz, and I'm joining you from the World Tourism Network in cooperation with Livestream.Travel and Etobo News this morning. It's morning here in Hawaii, but I know where many of you are, it's already afternoon, evening, or even night. Seeing some familiar faces, thank you for being so loyal and always joining our events. And we have a number of really interesting upcoming events this month and the beginning of next month, starting with today. After I introduce Holger and what we're doing today, we're going to, on Tuesday, we're going to be talking to TUI, what is one of the largest tour operators, and their approach on how to help the industry and industry professionals through the times of COVID. Be drinking sherry. Our reporter from Etobo News in New York, she's going to have an interview on this beginning of April. We're going to visit, and I know that Stephen want to be part of this one, with Visit Britain in April and talk about the outlook of uh, the tourism world in, in Britain. And uh, so there's a lot coming up. For those of you that are not a member yet of World Tourism Network, World Tourism Network is a discussion on rebuilding travel. We started a little bit more than a year ago now on March 5th of 2020 in Berlin, Germany. And our discussion now grew to tourism professionals in more than 100, in, I think in exactly 127 countries now. So you can join our discussions. There are complimentary options. They're better. There are also some options um, you, you need to pay for with access to all our events, Q&As, and so forth. And there's a lot more coming. There are interest groups like Professor Snow White, who is with us from Serbia, for example, is running our interest group on um, education and there's a lot coming up. Um, her and we, we had a conversation yesterday, so there's a lot in the pipeline. We also have been working with tour guides all over the world. Jolly, he's joining, I believe. Welcome. And um, it's a very international crowd. Now in Berlin, where we started with, and then I forgot to mention, sorry, it's early here. I forgot to mention, if you wanted to become a member of the World Tourism Network, simply go to WTN.travel and click on membership. So it's very simple, WTN.travel. Other than that, today is a, is a very special day for me to welcome my good friend, Holger Timrek. He's joining us from Lima, Peru. And um, Holger and I, we know each other for quite some time, since the late 70s. And, I, and this is actually the story we have today. Um, first time I'm, I met Holger was in Dresden and we met in Berlin in Germany and Berlin is also where our discussion on rebuilding the travel started, but this was another time. If you go back for those of you that are old enough to remember before internet, what was probably a kind of a replacement of the internet to have international contact for radio. And um, I always love to get in touch with people all over the world when I grew up in Germany. And one of the methods is to listen to radio stations all over the world. And I, I think it was a station in Denmark or Sweden where Holger was a guest and um, people are looking for pen pals. And I was so fascinated living in, living in West Germany to meet someone from East Germany because I didn't have relatives like many of us in West Germany. I didn't have any connection. I wanted to know what is really communism and how do people live in a communist country and specifically in my own country what was uh, divided at the time in East and West. So I made the step and contacted uh, Holger 
And ever since we, we became friends, um, I had the advantage living in the West, what was the Federal Republic of Germany, what is pretty much what is, you know, Germany now called and had the freedom of traveling. And so I was able to actually go to the East, get a visa and visited Holger in the place he lived, what is a small village close to Dresden by the name of Durostorf. For those of you who speak German, it's very unique to have a name with three R's. The Durostorf is spelled with three R's. So that's where Holger grew up. Um, and that's where the story really started. Um, I think Holger was so fascinated in meeting people from the West, like I was so fascinated meeting people from the East. And Holger, and then there was another good friend of us, his name was Ziggy, and I haven't heard from him for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, you decided to change your livelihood. There was, a, we will hear a lot more what, what happened and why Holger was doing what he was doing, but um, he eventually tried to escape because that's what people who wanted to get out of the communist part of Germany, the German Democratic Republic, were trying to do. They were trying to live in the West. There was more money in the West. There were more opportunities in the West. Holger probably will give you the entire story, but that's how long I know Holger. And I thought it would make an interesting story, not about COVID this time, but about history, the history of you know, the unification of Germany, what then finally happened in 1989. And I think for those of us that grew up with two Germanys, we never ever expected this would happen. So today there's one Germany with one philosophy, um, basically put um, in place with a lot of money. So now people in the West and in the East are um, equal and uh, there is, all the opportunities you have in the East, you have in the West, and it's now still called the Federal Republic of Germany. But before that, and I called Holger a criminal, he was a criminal because he, <laughs> he was caught and he spent time in prison. But Holger is definitely not a criminal. He now lives actually in Lima, Peru. He is married to a doctor in Lima. Maybe you can tell us a little bit later on also how the situation on COVID in Lima is, especially since your wife is a doctor. And he has a lovely family. And I visited Holger in Lima. This must have been a few years ago now. And uh, this is where the story continues. But Holger, welcome to World Tourism Network Talk. So the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Welcome. You have to, put your, you have to unmute yourself. We cannot hear you. I'm not unmuted. No, I'm not muted. You are, you are. Holger, we cannot hear you. I think it's not, no, 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 you're muted, but I think you have the wrong microphone on. You may have the microphone from. We can hear him. One, okay. two, three, four. You okay. can hear me. Um, if, I think it was my system here. I apologize <laughs> to everybody. Okay, no. go ahead. <laughs> Once again, uh, hello, hola desde Lima. Welcome to everybody. So everybody can hear me worldwide. Yeah, this is the story of, uh, of Jürgen of Holger. This is, I always say, what brought us together. That was the interest of uh, what happens on the other side of the Iron Curtain. So Jürgen was interested in what is about the Kummer side. And I always was, as a young boy, interested what is happening on the other side of the Iron Curtain when you grew up uh, in the eastern part of Germany. So, uh, friends, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to, to give my lecture uh, today here in this event about uh, subject freedom. 
uh, I can really say that I am um, with my story, with my life on both sides of the world in Germany. The word freedom for me is uh, more than uh, just a word. Last year, uh, in 2020, we celebrated the 30 years uh, of uh, the, unif the reunification of Germany. And in my eyes, the unification was the result of the East German people, of the courage of these people going out to the streets and to achieve the defeat of the communist dictatorship. They were fighting for freedom. No? And today I'm, I'm talking uh, special to the people of the travel business. And they were also fighting for the freedom to travel, no? for the right to see the world that was not possible in these times. And even for me personal was my argument to escape from this part of Germany, the freedom to travel. I was a young boy. I wanted to see the world. So my presentation today is, um, is a timeline, is a mixture of the events political in uh, these years of the Cold War in Germany and of my private uh, incidents in my personal life. And uh, I will share now my, uh, my pantalla, my screen. Uh, I will have this problem that some Spanish words will come. So you, I think you can see now my, my screen from Peru. And I will start my, uh, my PowerPoint now with this uh, timeline uh, with a video, a short video. On the very end, I achieved to be a producer and the director of cameras in a, in a television. I was working more than 25 years in a sports production as a producer and a director. And uh, sure, for this, my presentation starts with a short homemade video as an introduction uh, to understand uh, my, my story. And like always, I will say three, two, one, run. So here we are, welcome in Europe. This is uh, Germany in the heart of Europe of these days of today, no? With this beautiful city Dresden, on the circa near I grew up uh, in the 60s and the 70s, 
And uh, when I was a young boy, we had uh, another situation. No? This was the Europe, uh, the situation in Europe in the 60s, 70s, when I was a young boy. Uh, Germany was divided, even all Europe was divided, even all the world were divided in the Eastern Bloc of the communist dictatorships and then the West, the free world on the West. And later I will talk about my escape, my try to escape. This was south of Prague, the Czech capital. I was trying to escape from Czechoslovakia to Austria in 1980. So talking a uh, introduction a little bit about the terminology of this, uh, this day, I will talk about East Germany, the German Democratic Republic, with the capital East Berlin and the leader Egg Honecker, and the Federal Republic of Germany with the capital Bonn and the leader, the Chancellor Helmut Kohl. Later, we know he also was famous as the father, as the architect of the reunification of Germany. In short, I will talk sometimes often about the Stasi, no? this secret police of the communist dictatorship in East Germany, with, you can see, almost 300,000 employees and unofficial informers who are working for this dictatorship. And the thing what we make today is just, I think, to talk about one letter, about the letter of D in GDR. I think this is the, the error, this is the mistake in the history. This does not uh, have to be a democratic, this deal. This is for me, is the German dictatorship, no? The German communist dictatorship republic. This is what we make today. So this is the plan for our, I think we make on our four. 40, 45 minutes to go through this timeline. The red ones is the events, the political events in these years between 45 uh, and um, today. And the yellow ones, this is the incidents and the events in my personal life. And we will go through what happened in this years. Uh, even Jürgen is playing uh, not a big role, but a really important one uh, on my uh, change. Uh, to, to cross the iron curtain in these years. So always the, the first question is, Holger, why were there two different Germanys in this year? No? This is the, the question and, uh, in their history. And the answer is, this is, depends on the end of the second war after the defeat of the Hitler of Nazi Germany uh, the Allies made the division of Germany in sectors, in the occupational sectors uh, after uh, the end of the war. The British one, the French one, the American one, and the red one, also the uh, sector of the Soviet Union. So, and uh, later, uh, some years later, there was allowed to make the foundation of own German states, ensure that this the Western allies allowed to make the system of the democratic system. And in this part, where was the red one, the Russian one from the Soviet Union, the leader of the communist uh, countries, 
So they uh, established a communist system in this part. And I was the unlucky boy to grew up in this part on the east. And uh, Jürgen was the happy boy to grew up on the other side in Dusseldorf. And uh, this border now was not only an inner German border, this was also the border between two different blocks, political and military. So here we go to the yellow one. Uh, my birth is in uh, in Ma in '59. I'm now also uh, on, uh, in the '60s. Uh, I was born in Perna. It's near Dresden, and uh, I grew up on a small uh, village, a really small place uh, on a on a farm. No? I grew up with all the nice things on a farm with animals a lot of work, but I had a really very nice childhood in this place. Uh, they say that uh, I grew up in a place, uh, they call it the Valley of the Clueless, that's Tal de Ahnungslos. Ne? We did not have Western television in this part behind Dresden. So I grew up with, with the radio, my information from the West World Radio. On the end was this what brought us together, me and Jürgen. So this main street, I will talk a little bit later, as a event very important uh, a role later, this street in front of my house. Here we are now in the 1960. This is a very serious incident in my family. My father was taken to prison for comments against the communist government. I was a baby. I was just born. I was one year old. I was one more brother. And uh, I remember that my mom always is telling how hard was this time for me when the Stasi came and took our father, my, the papa, away one day to the next. And she was alone with the farm and with the kids. So you will understand that with all the things uh, what happened in the, in my life, uh, I will never, I will ever, ever hate this communist yeah. dictatorship. Huh? So here we are in 61, the construction of the wall on August the 13th in Berlin. So we always hear about the anniversaries of the fall of the wall. And now in the past, when I was a boy of two years, they uh, constructed the wall in Berlin and East Germany was walled in. And the question is, why did they make this wall? Because East Germany, the communist part, lost until uh, by 1961, they lost 2.5 million people going, fleeing to the West. No, 2.5 million people flew from East Germany to the West. And only with the construction of the wall in Berlin, they could stop this and all the people were walled in. And why did they go West? Because of the better economic situation in West Germany and sure, because of the political restrictions in the East. So this happened in this 61. In 68, I'm now a nine year old boy and in Prague, we have the Spring Rebellion in the capital of Czechoslovakia and the entry of the Russian troops into Prague. So I am now a nine-year-old boy 
and now remember the main street in front of my house. I'm sure that I saw exactly this tank in front of my house because the Russian troops were leaving Dresden uh, and cruising the river Elbe in Perna and they were cruising, uh, crossing my, my village uh, day by night on the way to Prague to defeat the rebellion in Prague against the communist regime. So I was a young boy and saw these tanks, the troops going to, to Czechoslovakia. This is I, what I remember. And also you must know that uh, uh, my father's nickname in these times in my village was Dubček. No, my father's nickname was Dubček and Dubček, he was the leader of this rebellion in Prague. So this is the surrounding how I grew up in, uh, in East Germany. And I was coming the year 76. Now I'm uh, a young boy of 16, 17 years uh, in school, in high school, finishing my school and it's coming the defining moment in my life. At the age of 16, I received the evaluation from the school and I had to read as follows. No? To study in East Germany, you did not decide by yourself. You needed to have a permission, a permission of the school, of the teachers, of the system, if you are allowed to study. And in my paper, I had to read, Holger is not suitable for university studies. Holger would not educate young people in the ideology of socialism. I was applying to study sports and history. I wanted to be a teacher in sports and history. That was my, my dream. No? I wanted to, to make something with, with sports. And this system told me, no, you will not be able to make this. So the doors for my future in East Germany were closed with this decision. I had no future. So this was the, the defining moment for all the story. So this, after the school, I had to do directly, I was 18 years old, uh, 18 months, uh, my military service obligatory. Uh, and now I learned that uh, West Germany not only is the enemy uh, political in the political sense, but also in the military sense. Now I, now I have uh, 80 months experience as a, sol sol a soldier in uh, East Germany. And I see that the world is really divided in two parts with military enemies. So, and it's coming the year 80. So I am now 20 years old, young boy, and uh, without a future. No? I have no future to realize my dreams in, in East Germany. After finishing the military service, I was attending uh, an institute for agriculture in this year. So in, in, uh, in the People's Republic of Poland, we have another a big rebellion against the communist system. So there's now a considerable tension in the communist bloc in Poland, in East Germany, and even in my personal life. So something has to happen. I'm total, uh, totally uh, not happy with this uh, system and I feel that I have to do something. 
in this years, I was in New York and we were writing letters and I said, okay, there's a nice life on the other side of the Iron Curtain. And this brings me to the decision, I will is try to escape. I remember in these years, um, I had a cousin, a cousin, a cousin, and he escaped successfully, I think one, two years before. Uh, and I heard that uh, Matthias was living in West Germany. It's okay, what Matthias can do, I will try also. So this was the plan in 80, together with my friend Siki. Uh, we planned in secretly uh, this, uh, this uh, escape to, to cross the Iron Curtain in Czechoslovakia. And Siki uh, was going to try this in Hungary. So this was uh, when I was getting hope for a life with uh, fulfilling my dreams, no? The motto of this year was like, don't talk, act. That was uh, my motto in this, in this moment. And uh, I left my family, I left my house with the words to my parents, to my brothers, okay, see you later in two weeks, uh, I'm on holidays with Sigi in uh, Czechoslovakia. This was a lie, no? So it comes down a short uh, sequence with Jurgen. So I'm now in, Bra in uh, Czechoslovakia near to the Austrian border to checking out how to make them the escape. And one day before the, I tried to escape, I called Jurgen from a small city in Czechoslovakia. No, we were going to the city to buy pepper and to call Jürgen in West Germany. And I saw Jürgen, this is Holger. And hey, Holger, how are you? So I have to talk to you. I need to talk to something uh, really serious. I'm in Czechoslovakia and this night I will try to escape. Jürgen, if you do not hear anything tomorrow, please give my name to the German, West German government, to the inner German uh, Ministry of uh, Inner German Affairs that they helped me to get out. And Jürgen got crazy on the phone. Olga, don't make this. We will find another solution. Please, this is dangerous. Jürgen, I make a decision. I will try to escape this night. If you do not hear from me tomorrow from Austria, I will be in prison. This was the last words uh, with Jürgen. And then on the night I tried to escape to cruise this uh, uh, iron curtain, this border, and I failed. No, I got um, uh, I got uh, to the soldiers of uh, of the Czech ones. I got uh, arrested. So there's another question always uh, when I talk with the students, and they ask Holger, why did you not try to escape directly from East Germany to West Germany? And uh, there was a special reason why you don't have to make this. This was really too dangerous. And uh, I have here three minutes video and you can check now how does it work the, the border in East Germany. Before Germany was divided, this street simply ran a straight course. Now a concrete barrier cuts across it, blocking any view to the west the first major obstacle of the fortified border. The no man's land here is just 40 meters wide, one of the narrowest points along the frontier between East and West Germany. 
Just five meters behind the wall is a deeply anchored alarm fence. Openings have been left in its foundation for the many rabbits living in no man's land to prevent them from triggering the alarm. Six soldiers stand guard in the watchtowers around the clock. Two are at the top. The other four are posted in quarters below. In some places, guard dogs are added to the patrol of the area. A tripwire serves as a further alarm. When a person runs into it, a yellow flare is triggered. The death strip is lit up brightly at night. Live ammunition is fired at anyone trying to flee. Until 1983, landmines along the inner German border are another lethal danger. Past those, another tripwire. When triggered, it fires a red flare to let the border guards know precisely how far an escape attempt has progressed. Along the patrol route for military vehicles is another area of smoothed bare soil. Every footprint can be seen clearly. Tank traps block all vehicles here as well. Concrete barriers are put up only in areas believed to be especially vulnerable. Most places along the inner German border are marked by a fence three meters tall. There are gates where the fence meets the wall. The first few meters on the other side of the barriers are part of East Germany. Only the most reliable soldiers patrol there. Just 100 meters away, automatic firing devices shoot at anyone who hits the tripwire. Some 60,000 of these weapons are in use until 1983. Hundreds of people are killed trying to flee East Germany. The communist regime has made prisoners of its people. They are walled in. So, and uh, I was the young boy with uh, this which not to be walled in for the rest of my life. Who is uh, interested to, uh, to know about what happened exactly in this night? Uh, uh, you can go to YouTube. No? On YouTube, there is a... Uh, this audio also what happened, uh, how I failed, uh, I got uh, arrested with the uh, Czech uh, as uh, border police. So this was failed, no? I, now I'm a, a prisoner in the Stasi uh, prison in Dresden uh, with uh, many interrogations in custody. And guess what? happened something special with this young boy of 21 years. I felt something like liberty. I felt liberated to be in prison because the first time in my life I could speak open 
uh, what I really think, what I really want, what I really wish. And why is talking open? The first time in my life, and I talked this in front of the face of the Stasi officer in my interrogatories. This was a really strange situation that I felt something like freedom that now I am on my way to the West. And I think Jürgen informed in West Germany, the, the officials, because I got a lawyer in my, uh, in my trial from West Germany, they paid them. And, uh, but uh, in any case, uh, I got two years and four months, uh, even together with my friend Ziggy, uh, as a sentence, uh, sentence uh, for this uh, escape. And now I'm a political prisoner in the Brandenburg penitentiary. And this was really a very hard time to be with, uh, uh, we were 18 uh, prisoners in one cell. So three beds on top. And we were working in shifts in factories and uh, going to work in tunnels to the fabric. And uh, I was, uh, so Brandenburg is really a place for long sentenced uh, criminals. And I was there with a 20 year old boy without of any tattoos, living now with these people with tattoos from the from the eye to the food, to the food. No, with the, I think you only can know you know this situation. These people from uh, from Netflix movies. This is now I was I had this experience to live in in this in this. It's really another world. But uh, now coming the better times, uh, friends. Uh, in '82, I got liberated and transferred to West Germany. And this is now uh, the time or the year when I get, when I heard that the three best words ever in my whole life. When they, the door opened and they told me Timrek Pak sings, not Timrek Sachen Packen. This is the three best words ever in my life. This was the sign for freedom. And on this February the third, I got my freedom. And to be uh, uh, honest, I got two freedoms in one day. That means I left the Stasi prison in the morning, jumping with other ex-convicted, uh, with ex-prisoners in the bus. And in the afternoon cruising uh, with the bus, I was crossing now finally the Iron Curtain, the border to West Germany. So I was leaving the prison in the morning and the communist system in the afternoon. That's why I always tell I got two freedoms in 24 hours. So I got my freedom thanks to this uh, efforts of Jürgen that the West German uh, government put me on the list because they paid money to get out uh, the prisoners, the political prisoners from East Germany. There was a program uh, from this government and uh, the Federal Republic ransomed uh, the political prisoners with money and goods and a total of more than 33,000, more than 33,000 prisoners got free between 63 and 1963 and until the fall of the wall until 1989. So I was one of these 33,000 
uh, ex-prisoners and thanks to Jürgen that uh, he uh, informed the officials in West Germany I, I was on the list and uh, I got free on this, my second birthday on the 3rd of February in 82. So I started with nothing. No, I, Jürgen remember I was coming with nothing. I was coming with summer closest to a winter West Germany with snow. My first, my first closest I got from, from the church, even also from the family of Jürgen. So now for finally I'm on my freedom, on my start, my second life on the other side of the wall. But now again, I have a big problem with this damn iron curtain, with this wall. Because now this border, this wall is between my family, my friends, my homeland and me. Now I now got my, my West German passport, but I could not go home. I could travel all the world. I now had this freedom to travel but I could not go home. So in this 83, I was now the student and I always ask the students, uh, we did not have internet, we did not have cell phones, but would, what would have say my ways so my GPS in these times as a student in Cologne, if I would have, huh? Holger, you have reached your destiny, no? your destination. For Finn, I can study sports and to be a sports teacher. After all this story, I was, I was living near Dusseldorf. We had some good, nice beers with Jürgen in the Altstadt in Dusseldorf in these years. And he helped me to start my second, my second life. And even a big thank also to the mom of, uh, to Kretel Steinmetz, uh, uh, who helped me a lot in this in these moments. So here we are, uh, now I have my student life and also I met uh, a young nice lady uh, as a student and uh, we got married. By the way, Jürgen, I remember that this young nice lady, what I married, she was the best friend of your sister Ute. This could be like a coincidence, yeah, no, in Spanish. Uh, sorry for sometimes I uh, I do not find the English word so fast. I I I have the Spanish word faster. So this uh, this happened in '87. My marriage. This photo is from the '90s with my family in the '90s with my three kids in West Germany. But now I have a question for everybody. You don't have to answer. You don't have to sing. You almost only have to sing. My marriage, my wedding was took part in uh, 87 in Bielefeld uh, in near Hanover in the middle of Germany. And uh, sure, we had uh, a wedding photo, no? Like, like every wedding in the world, you have the big wedding photo of the families. And now the question is for you, how many people, how many persons of my family are on the photo of my wedding? in West Germany in 87. One, two, three, my mom, my father, my, my brothers. Then the answer is zero. No? On my wedding photo, you will not find one person of my family. This was the time of the Cold War. My mom applied 
to to visit my my wedding was not allowed no the stasi did not allow to come my, my mom to come to my wedding in west germany so you understand not that i will until the rest of my life i will hate this stasi communist east german dictatorship this is the cold war in my life so coming uh the end of my studies now i'm finished as a, with a diploma as a diploma sport lehrer i'm a teacher of sports i studied um, uh, also uh, communications sports uh, journalism and i i started a career in a sports uh, department in rtl in uh, in cologne uh, with my first uh, uh, head of sports uli potowski and then later i changed uh, to to premier to hamburg and I was a producer and a director uh, with a good contract and uh, uh, traveling a lot. Even I was in this year, I was a lot of times in the United States. I was producing a lot of boxing heavyweight in the times of uh, when the Holyfield, Mike Tyson, I made Super Bowl in the United States and that things and the World Cup. Even I was in the World Cup in Chicago in 90. 490 at these times. So, but on the other side of the wall live my family. So I used to, to travel once a year to travel to uh, to Prague, to Czechoslovakia, to meet with my family. This was the only way to see my brothers, my parents, uh, because they could travel to, to Czechoslovakia. And I was going to Czechoslovakia, and so we had the family meeting. Uh, once here in uh, in a neutral corner, you can say this. Huh? So now we we leave a lot. We we change a little bit uh, to the other side of uh, of the Iron Curtain in this moment uh, because you'll remember that this was the the big year in '89. What uh, when the wall fall and was the end of the communist system. So in this year, in uh, 89, I was working as a producer and uh, the communist, the old communist uh, leaders were celebrating the 40th anniversary of the German Democratic Republic and they were singing the socialism, socialism will win, no? we are the best system of the world. And Mikhail Gorbachev already started with changes, no? with uh, the program of Klasnost i Perestroika. But this old Honegger and the old team of East Germany, they did not uh, uh, want to have any uh, changes. So that started that the East German people also go out on the streets in this uh, year on October and November with big, big uh, manifestaciones with uh, demonstrations against the system. And uh, we have here the fall of the wall in November 9 in 89. So now uh, Germany is on the way back. I have a, a short video. I think we can see one minute to celebrate this really ex exceptional moment in the history of uh, Germany and even in the history of world. And um, this video starts with a special moment in Prague in the Czech uh, embassy, there were three, four thousand East German uh, refugees uh, to get out by asylum to, to West Germany. And on this day, and December was coming, uh, uh, 
the foreign minister Genscher to the people to say that the news, can we go to West Germany or do we have to go back to East Germany? And Genscher was coming with this information and I, then we have a little bit, uh, some pictures about the fall of the wall. So this was the fall of the wall and uh, Germany is on the way of the reunification and was uh, fulfilled on October the 3rd with the German reunification official and with a big uh, celebration in front of the Reichstag in Berlin. And uh, now we come back to my life and uh, to let you know that uh, there was also a, a reunification in my family situation. No? This picture, what does this picture mean? This is uh, my mom with the four boys, no? the four sons. And this picture uh, tells us that this mom, she lost three of the boys to the West side of the wall until 89. No, I was the first one with prison and uh, the last one he was escaping in the summer of 89 uh, uh, with thousands of people going uh, via Hungary to the west. And uh, at the moment was this that she lost three of the four boys on the west side and now we also have uh, the family reunification in the house of Timrek. This was the situation after the fall of the wall in my family. So now we come again to the Stasi, to this uh, secret police. So uh, now there was after in the 90s, I was working as a producer. Uh, sometimes I met Jürgen. Uh, he was, I think this year he already was living in uh, 
in the United States and uh, you could check your personal files by, by a, a date. So I also arranged my, my meeting to go to Dresden to check what did the Stasi know about me. And I found really a mountain of Stasi files of Holger Timrek, who was only living 20 years. Well, 20 years I was living there, but they had a lot of folders with all the information about my, my, my escape. The big luck was that they did not get me before I, is, before I tried to escape. Because I, in, in prison, I met a lot of, of people, young people, who were discovered from the Stasi before they tried to escape. So this is always my, my victory about the Stasi is that they did not discover me and Ziggy with my preparations. And we had the chance uh, to, to try. We failed, but we had the chance to try. A lot of people were discovered before by this work of the secret police. I have a short video in English so that you can understand this issue. We found that the Stasi had tried in, his, in its last days to destroy files and information. That's just what civil rights activists wanted to prevent. They stormed Stasi headquarters after the fall of the Berlin Wall and demanded that every citizen have the right to see what information the East German secret police had collected on them. They got their way. A newly created agency opened the files to the public. The records document even the tiniest details of East Germans' lives. Roland Jahn, a former East German political activist, is proud of his agency. For the first time in history, the files of a secret police agency, of a dictatorship, have been made public. It's an achievement that we should tell people about time and again. This is a very symbol that dictatorship can be overcome. Since its founding, 1.7 million people have read their files, directly confronting the East German regime's abuses. It also fascinates visitors from outside Germany. Last year we had guests from more than 40 nations, including countries that are themselves in a phase of upheaval. The Stasi documents remain an important source for confronting German history, even a quarter of a century after reunification. So this was the Stasi story in, uh, in my life and now we come to 2011. I remember that I visited, now I just remember, I was going to Hawaii to visit Jürgen in 1998, when I finished my, my job on uh, the Bertelsmann Group and I got a little money to go out of my contract and uh, I was going with one, uh, I was going to Hawaii to uh, say hello and to play a round of golf in Hawaii and come back. And then I started as a freelance director and the producer in, eight, in 1980. So now I'm in 2011. This means that I have a change in my private life, uh, a separation and later divorce after 25 years of marriage. And uh, later coincidence brings me to meet a young, nice lady from Peru in a German soccer stadium in Hamburg. Uh, so you see that always the sport and the football plays a really important role in my life because this young, nice lady was uh, in Hamburg in a stadium to see Paulo Guerrero, the famous Peruvian 
a footballer who was in contracted in Hamburg in this time. So we met each other. We fall in love. I, I was going to Peru to start now my third life in South America with no one word of Spanish. I started to Spanish. I found a job in a German school in Lima and I was working as a teacher in the German school in Humboldt. And now we are together almost 10 years with an eight year old daughter and living here in Peru. And uh, this was in uh, 11. So uh, the story is that uh, how did I start to work as an eyewitness. You have to know that I never, never, ever was talking this, this story uh, open, no? public, in public. I, this was a story was in my heart and uh, only with some friends, sometimes I was talking about this. Um, the story is that in, uh, I think in 2016, there was coming an eyewitness, uh, he's German eyewitness uh, to the school in Lima with the presentation and the political education. And I was not attending this event. I was not ready to hear this. I was not going there, but I met him. I met this person, Mario, uh, for a, a dinner. And then we were talking about our stories and he, Mario, he convinced me to work also like an eyewitness in the political education. He told me, Holger, you have such an interesting story. We need people like you to talk in the universities, the schools and high schools about uh, these communist dictatorships. And uh, I think in 2000, I told him, uh, they have in past, no, let me let me alone. I I was not ready. I told him that I will visit you in, in Germany when I come to Germany. And I visited him in 2018 in the in the memorial in Berlin. I met the boss of him. He asked me for an interview. Uh, I I made it now. I said, okay, we can talk. I will open my 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 box uh, to talk my my story, uh, all what happened with my father, all this uh, the suffering also in this family with this communist dictatorship. And uh, then I started uh, to talk with this uh, uh, presentation in, in schools. And uh, in 2019, I was two weeks as a presenter in, uh, in Chile for the German embassy visiting German schools. and. Um, in 2020, I make the same <laughs> online. No, I was, and now I make this online. And uh, the reason is now uh, we come to the end. There's coming two more minutes. Uh, you have to listen really careful, because the last question in this interview in Berlin was, uh, Holger Timrek, what is your message for the young people? What is the message for the people with your life, with your story? And uh, the answer was that this two minutes uh, coming right now. And uh, this will be also at the end. And then we, uh, I will come back and we can talk a little bit about that thing. So listen carefully. The message, the message is this, uh, the message is that the person who is looking at you in the morning in the mirror, that this person gives you a happy smile with satisfaction 
And that is what happened with me. But I am now looking back in all what happened, even with a lot of suffering. But at the very end, everything was good. What I always said, don't talk, act. And in my case, it was a mix of frustration, curiosity and the courage just to do it. It also could have gone wrong. If the soldier had lost control, I could have been shot. He aimed at me with the machine gun ready to fire. And later in jail I saw a young boy who lost one leg because he stepped on a mine and I met prisoners with gunshot injuries. If I met a doctor who told me about long OPs to take out the projectiles of automatic fire machines from the bodies of East German refugees. That all was really horrible. And so, I always say, each young person has the chance to take their own life into their own hands. And that is what I did. And it went well. And I know that there are a lot who did not made it. But for me, personally, that guy who's looking at me in the mirror in the morning, we wink at each other with a happy smile and telling, well done, good job. So, thank you for the end. This is uh, um, the message on the end after all this, this life until today. Uh, I ended up with my third life, uh, a happy life here in Lima and Peru. You uh, know uh, which role was Jürgen playing in this uh, in this uh, change from east to west? On the very end, it was the, the courage and the, to do this and the, the curiosity, not the curiosity to to see what is on the other side of of the iron curtain. I do these presentations now. Um, Thanks to all change of online, I can do this worldwide. I do a lot here in, in the South America in Spanish. So forgive me my, my mistakes in English because now I speak now uh, this uh, lecture mostly in, uh, in Spanish, but I can and I want to do this also in, in English uh, in any place, in any university, in any high school worldwide, you can book me. You can ask me, you can contact me, and to have the full story, you also will find on YouTube in German, in English, and in Spanish. And we can keep in contact. So, because uh, once again, this is also uh, not only a thing of freedom, this is also a thing of freedom to travel. This was a big need in this communist parts. So I always say, do you have as a travel guide, do you have in the United States uh, tourist groups from Cuba to see the Grand Canyon? Or in Europe, you have uh, tourist groups from Northern Korea? No, because they live walled in, in uh, the communist system. So I come back now, Jürgen, and uh, here am I. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Holger. A lot of memories. And uh, thanks for um, watching this. And I think it's an important message. We have to keep alive. Like history has to keep alive. People, young people have to, uh, should learn 
you know, um, how, how these things work. So we can learn out of mistakes and um, that would enable us to, um, to live a better life in a, in a better structure. So I wanted to open to see if there's any questions. I know there was a lot of uh, feedback here on our chat room, but instead of doing the chat room, uh, you can just easily uh, just raise your hand and uh, you can ask any questions, make any comment. I saw Wolfgang in, in Dusseldorf had a number of uh, uh, input here. So the floor is yours. Microphone. Yeah, thank you, Holger. As I wrote to you, uh, I was born in West Berlin, lucky enough, but my parents' families, both uh, sides, lived in East Germany. And I was born just five kilometers from the later border. So it was sheer luck uh, that I was born on the Western side and not on the Eastern side. Uh, and uh, of course, we visited our family, so I can really feel with you the whole story because we had the same problems with our family. Uh, one thing, when I visited Leipzig recently, which really struck me, I visited uh, a memorial uh, room uh, in the church where the demonstrations were. And uh, many of you know uh, the, the demonstrations, they shouted, wir sind das Volk, we are the people. This has gone around the world. But I was reading the story there and I didn't know the other thing they, they were shouting, particularly on that famous last day because the DDR had put all their soldiers to Leipzig. And if anyone had given an, an alarm, they would have shot at the demonstrators. So the organizers, they told their people to, uh, to shout a second thing, which means no violence, keine Gewalt. They were shouting, no violence, keine Gewalt, not to give them a reason to shoot at the demonstrations. And I must think when, when I hear this story and remember all this about uh, people in Myanmar living now and they are shot by the government uh, uh, in, in the head uh, right away. Uh, uh, so history repeats itself and literally the world has not learned their lesson. Yes, <laughs> that's, uh, that's absolutely true. That's, you know, the unification in Germany definitely made a, a big difference, not only in for Germany, but for the rest of the world. And, and hopefully the rest of the world can learn and maybe the young people in Germany can learn too, because it looks like young people who haven't grown up during this time cannot remember. Um, they only have to go by the history. And that's why I think all this message is important to uh, be told and uh, to be told again and again and again. But we have Jalil from Pakistan. He's a tour guide in Pakistan. We, we talked last week, uh, raising his hand. Go ahead, Jalil. Uh, hello, uh, good evening, good late evening from Pakistan to all of you. I really want to appreciate the courage of Hogar and uh, the trauma he has been, especially when he was in prison. It's really courageous in a gallant and in a bravery way that he has done. My question is that uh, when uh, East and West Germany was not united and what uh, especially made him motivated when he was in prison? And uh, secondly, what was the time when he thought that I'm gonna give up, that there is no chance for me to escape from this prison? 
So what uh, keep him motivated? And what was the thing which was, which was demotivating him that he would not be able to escape from this prison? Okay. The motivation was uh, the, the, the future. My motivation was there is a future on the other side of, of, of the world because I, I knew this from my cousin. I knew this from the information in the media. And uh, this was always like, I'm a young boy. I have only one life. So this is really what you, you were saying, okay, I want to be free. I want to be on the other side. Sometimes I met only a few times I met Jürgen. So, and then comes the moment that, okay, he was going back to the West and I was living there with this, uh, with this doors closed, no? because they told me you, can, you are not able to study because they sorted me out because of my, I also was critical. I grew up in a very critical home with my father. So this was the reason uh, I, I was uh, sorted out. And sure, there was the, the will to make this, no? And uh, there were a lot of people who are not happy, who are not happy to live in his journey, but only a few people who were acting. And I was one of these yeah, people who were acting, even with this uh, bad experience to go to prison. I was leaving my house with plan A and plan B. Plan A was freedom. We will have uh, ex exit, uh, exit or we will have uh, success or plan B will be end in prison. This was what I was leaving my house with, uh, with a joker of 50-50. Of and uh, so I, I ended up in, uh, in, in prison, but on the very end, you see the story was a good, a happy story. Yeah, and Holger, and I think uh, to go back to Johnny's questions, what kept you motivated in prison was really the outlook that there, there is a chance uh, you would be released to the West once prison time is uh, over, correct? Yeah, exactly. This was because the efforts of this inner German ministry uh, to make the efforts to get out the people that to be on the list. But in this moment, I did not know, no? I did not know, will I be on the list or not? My, my, uh, my friend Ziggy, he left uh, the prison in October. So, and in November, nothing happened. In December, nothing happened. I was waiting, waiting, waiting. That also my, my doors going open and they tell me Tim Rack Park sings. And it happened in, in February, but it happened. Yeah, and I, I remember way back, I don't know when, when you told me that one of the things that motivated you in prison, you can correct me, but you heard planes flying these, uh, at that time, uh, the Western part of Berlin was connected mostly by um, planes to the Western part of Germany. Uh, German airlines were not allowed to fly, but Pan American, uh, British Airways and Air France operated on domestic flights and uh, there was a lot of traffic, literally flights every 10 minutes. And you heard these planes from prison, right? And that kind of motivated you a little bit, you thought. Was Brandenburg was muy, muy near to, to, to Berlin. And the only thing what we had as a, as a prisoner was, was radio, but this was illegal. To have a radio was illegal in prison. So we had to build this to buy the, the the chips uh, we could we could buy and we had this uh this radio illegal small things like a detector uh to hear us not the west german uh radio station in prison but was illegal sometimes they checked out uh, and uh, we lost the radios 
So mm -hmm. this was the only uh, information what we had about the real world. This was okay. really a... Okay, uh, we have huge, uh, Hugh Riley and uh, Susan. Uh, Hugh, you were first, go ahead. Uh, thank you, thank you, Jürgen. I, I have a question, well, actually two questions. First, uh, what happened to your dad in, in the end? Uh, and the second one is really about, um, about your children. I, I wonder if your children, the older ones, as well as, 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 well as your eight-year-old, have you been able to help them to understand the true meaning of, of, of friendship, what that really, really means? Because I think that today, in today's world, with all the electronics and so on, people have a different concept of what personal contact really means and what true friendship really is. And, and have, your, have your children been able to get together with your, I don't know if the, if the next generation uh, has, has remained um, as close and, and, uh, and, and as tightly bound together as, as you and, and, uh, and Jürgen have been? Okay, the, the first question, my, my, even this is always one of the first questions, Holger, what happened with your parents, no? After my, my try escaped in my prison, so. Uh, there was, um, they searched the house, no? My, my parents did not know nothing. I, I was the, the boy who was in Czechoslovakia drinking beer and having fun because he was on holidays. But I was not on holidays, no? Uh, on the, there was the birthday of my mom on October the 5th, was coming the Stasi to my house to make the, the, the search of the house and uh, to take out things from my room. And they told to my parents, your son is in prison for trying to escape. But uh, my father was just a normal worker. My mom was working at home, so it was not, not the big thing for my parents. My father was not... Uh, a leader in any administration or my mom was not a teacher. So this would have be a big problem for the parents. So it was not a big problem for my family. And with my kids, the only uh, really hard experience I have with my kids, even in, uh, in Germany and with my daughter now was eight years, to tell them that the father was in prison. This is really hard, was really hard for me to, to tell how I tell to my kids when they they grew up now, this lady is eight years. Now she knows all the story. But on the beginning, okay, now, now you have to tell to this seven, she was six, seven when I started with the project. And she was talking that the parents were talking, hey, really, the papa of Krista, he was in prison in Germany. Uh, so then you have to explain your, your seven-year-old daughter that I was in prison. But why? This is because if you are in prison, you are bad. You can, you can see this and on YouTube. There's an, a, a part in my YouTube video about this. This was really difficult. But sure, this helps me to educate my own kids and even the kids in the school for this part like friendship, to have courage for that things. This is the experience of what I can give and what I want and what is my job now to be uh, um, an eyewitness and uh, like a, a teacher with this story going to the schools to, to the... Uh, uh, at least to the um, to high school uh, kids uh, who are 16 and to say, okay, make something with your life. No? You have only one, one chance. You can up like me with, as a happy boy. This is the message I have. And uh, always the teachers say, Olga, you, you got the boys. You got the, you got the boys. No? Yeah. Susan had a question. Yeah, thank, yeah. thank you, Susan. Uh, Susan had a question. Yes, thank you. I'm curious as to whether you were influenced at all as a boy or people in your community or your family by 
such uh, radio uh, programs such as Radio Free Europe or Voice of America, did that have any great influence or was it just sort of hit or miss and it was curious, but not, you know, you were curious about it, but not particularly influenced by it. Do, do you have any yeah. opinion about that? But when I was this young boy in East Germany, in this village, but I, I was, I had a really nice childhood, but I had this curiosity. And uh, this, the problem was that I grew up in this famous valley of the clueless. Uh, Jürgen, how you translate the, uh, das Tal der Ahnungslosen? Yeah, you said it well. <laughs> the valley of the clueless, yes. Yeah. That's where the only part in, in East Germany was a small part without Western TV, without television. Mm -hmm. So we only had the information from the radio. I was so happy to have my radio. This was the only connection to the free world. And then I was I was checking and I, I remember you, this was Radio Sweden. That radio we got, Sweden, that's what it was. They, yeah. published, they yeah. published interest. So this was, I was in what brought us together. That was the interest uh, that I was interested on the other side of the ball, and Jürgen was also interested in what happened on the other side of this uh, of this iron curtain. This uh, was uh, the, the funny thing. So the, the people today, nobody know how to use a radio. No, right. they only know how to use the, the smartphone. Right. But this yeah. was the thing that we started to to write letters, postcards, and uh, but um, yeah. you have to be curious. No, you have to be. A, need to have the interest and that so it works out this this story yeah and, and in the late 70s and the 80s radio had an enormous influence for people who wanted to get information out of the normal sources you know there was no cnn no fox no dw right. or, or there but there was bbc with a worldwide radio in many different languages there was radio beijing from china radio tirana radio moscow south africa um, ecuador uh, Paris, Sweden, so uh, DW from Germany, and these are all shortwave radio stations, similar to what you find today on the internet. I mean, you Google things and you find different sources. At that time, there was no internet, but you go to radios. And actually, one of the things I collected, and I don't know if you collected it at the time, were they called it QSL cards. So when you listen to a foreign radio station, you send them a postcard in the mail, and you acknowledge that you listen to them and you give them like a little in information what you listen to and then they sent you a beautiful postcard back and some radio stations went even way beyond that especially if they're government sponsored and wanted to send propaganda like from beijing i remember i got so many magazines from all over the world beautiful glossy magazines with pictures from china i remember my mom telling me you know what are you getting all this mail from from all over the place and even the mailman asked me, oh, wow, I mean, I don't have anyone on my road getting mail from, from China. So there, there are different times and it was kind of for those that understood shortwave radio, it was a way of uh, communicating. Are, are there any more? Yeah, go ahead, Susan. Okay. <laughs> All right. And um, yeah, are there any, any more questions here? Yeah, there's Ingrid. Um, go ahead, Ingrid. And you please unmute yourself. We cannot hear you. Uh, you know, you need to un just click on unmute. On the left bottom part of your, there we go. Okay. Okay. Um, go ahead. I was trying to get rid of some. So uh, Holger, you said that when you went to prison, you felt free because you could speak openly 
and I think you said even to Stasi or the guards or something. And I was wondering, were you punished for that? For speaking openly in prison? No, it, it was the moment when I got uh, an, a, arrested. So the first uh, days, no, I mean, yeah, the one of the, of the, of the worst moments was, yeah, uh, until the, the, the escape, I was this young boy with this big plan, plan A, I will have be freedom next day, I will be in Austria. So, but plan B won. Now I was arrested. I got, the next days I got to the Stasi prison in Dresden and I was, they made me naked to stand in front of the typewriter. I was doing all my first things in the Stasi naked. They put me, my fingerprints naked. They put me in the office naked. And even later, so, and this was the big change, no? Because on the beginning, it was like, like an adventure. I will try to escape, I will be happy. No, it was not. Now I'm on the other side from, uh, from this, uh, from this uh, issue. And naked in front of the typewriting machine of the Stasi, and uh, so on. Then I was in the interrogatories, and they were talking to me. And this was really the first time in my life that I now could speak open. I against the socialism. I want to live in the West. I want study. So I never could this do before openly. I could not speak open before. That's why I was feeling free to talk to the Stasi officer my opinion this was a funny moment that i was like in my soul i got free and this uh, como prisoner so they didn't punish you physically no 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 i got my two years and four months and um, and this even was what we expected so that was the plan b and luckily i was on the list and i got out after one and a half year well, thank you. Thank you very much. And any more comments or questions from anyone? Well, if, if there aren't, um, Holger, this was interesting, really a uh, journey back in times. And it's, as I said, it's important to hear this story and what Holger does. Um, I think uh, you also uh, get some support from the German government to tell your story. Uh, around the world, so because it is an important story, a story not only for Germany but uh, for everyone to hear. So, if you wanted to get Holger to tell his story at any university or forum, you said you can do this. Just contact uh, WTN.travel. We'd be happy to forward it, or you have Holger's uh, contact information. If you wanted to listen to uh, this broadcast again, uh, we will play it for the next 24 hours on eTurbo News and all our channels, but you can always go back to world tourism event, I'm, I'm sorry, to livestream.travel and you find it in archive. And uh, hopefully we're gonna hear from Holger again and, uh, and and hear the rest of the story. But everyone, I wanted to thank you for uh, coming together this Saturday morning or Saturday evening and uh, make sure you read eTurbo News. If you haven't joined the World Tourism Network yet, go to wtn.travel and join us so you can hear more stories. And there's a lot coming up. Simply go to worldtourismevents.com. Join us again on Tuesday. We're actually gonna go back to Germany one more time on Tuesday and talk to TUI. TUI is one of the largest tour operators in the world. It's based in Hanover in Germany. And we will hear how they are supporting the travel and tourism um, industry. But I wanted to thank everyone. I also wanted to thank our, our sponsor, 
uh, for this for the standard. Uh, excuse me. Yes. Excuse me. Uh, can I ask a question? Uh, yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Charlie. Okay. Okay. I just want to ask uh, Hogar that uh, did he uh, ever uh, think about it, writing a book about about all the incidents which happened to his life, or did someone uh, approach him to sponsor him for writing a book? Go ahead, Hogar. You can answer that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as I told you, a lot. Mostly all the life I was not talking about this. This was like a, a secret box in my heart. Then I, I started to open up this. And sometimes when I was with friends, closed, and they, because they always said, Holger, where are you come from? From East Germany? So yeah. But you, you, you studied in the 80s in Cologne. How did you make this? You escaped? So yeah. Tell the story. So I know today. So, and when I told the story with two or three beers, Holger, you have to write a book. I heard this many times in my life. Olga, you have to write a book. Because now the book is not that I have three lives now in my life. But I think this uh, version to make this uh, online with like we make today, this is for me comfortable. I, if my, okay, could be I will start to write a book, but. Um, uh, you, you, you need a writer, you know, it's very time. I'm not a writer, I'm a, yeah. I'm a talker. Huh? I'm, I'm better in speaking and make this with the, my online presentation. And um, well, uh, in Spanish, vamos a ver, no? we will see uh, what is the next step. Well, if anyone who wants to write a book with Holger, you can contact him and see what he says. But in, in, in any case, guys, uh, thanks for joining us. And I wanted to. Um, I wish you a nice weekend for those that are celebrating Easter. Um, enjoy your Easter weekend, but stay home, be safe, and um, hopefully we all see you again on Tuesday at our session with TUA or one of our upcoming sessions already planned with the British, uh, with Visit Britain, and uh, we're going to talk about sherry and have a glass of sherry with Eleanor next week. So just go to worldtourismevents.com and you will see what's in the pipeline. Aloha from this part of the world. Guten Abend, buenas noches, and hopefully we see you again soon. Thank you, Holger. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.